Greetings, this is Austin, welcoming you to the LL Research Podcast in the Now, episode number 81. LL Research is a nonprofit organization dedicated to freely sharing spiritually oriented information and fostering community, and towards this end has two websites, the archive website llresearch.org and the community website bringforth.org. During each episode, we either come up with our own topics or we respond to questions sent to LL Research from spiritual seekers like you. Our panel consists of Gary Bean, Jim McCarty, and myself, each of us a devoted student of the Law of One. Your questions allow us to explore the Law of One and related matters of metaphysical interest. We hope only to offer a resource that enhances your own seeking process. Please know that our replies are not the final word on these subjects. We ask each who listens to exercise their discernment and be sensitive to their resonance in determining what is true for them. If you would like to submit a question for this show, please do so. Our humble podcast relies on your questions. You may either send an email to contact at llresearch.org or go to www.llresearch.org slash podcast for further instructions. Again, I'm Austin, and we are embarking on another episode of LL Research's podcast in the now. Gary and Jim, are you with me and ready to go? Yes and yes. I, no. <laughs> Jim's affirming for me. No, I affirm both questions for myself. Oh, I see. There were two questions. Are you here and are you ready to go? Right. <laughs> then yes and no, or no and yes. Okay, so which, which one are you not? I'm leaning yes for both. So okay. I, I did want to comment, too, that you have really like um, slid into a nice podcast voice. That intro was just, <laughs> I felt like I was listening to a pro do that, so... Nice yeah, work. I, uh, I practice in the mirror at home. <laughs> <laughs> it's working. Stay with it. So our episode today is a topic that I wanted to talk about for a long time, and we've gotten a few questions about it. The one specifically that I'm thinking of is from a listener named Herta, who sent in a few questions about Jesus that we'll cover over the course of this episode. Um, but... I would like to start, I guess, just talking about, um, with Jim, uh, Carla had a relationship with Jesus, and then after she passed, you developed your own relationship with Jesus. Would you mind explaining what Carla's relationship was, and then your own experiences subsequent to that? Okay. Um, Carla's experiences were absolutely unique. Uh, they started when she was two years old. She, uh, was born with a defect with her uh, left eye was pointed toward the brow. And by the time she was about 11 months old, they could do some preliminary surgery to try to correct that and necessitated her wearing glasses. So for the rest of her life, she wore glasses. But uh, a year later, at the age of two, uh, her mother put her down for uh, a nap and put her down next to a window, which had some Venetian blinds. And before she left Carla, she closed the blinds. And before Carla laid down for her nap, she took her glasses off and put them in between the Venetian blinds just to kind of get them out of the way. But as she lay down, she discovered that there was a beam of light coming from the outside through one of the lenses of her glasses. And it actually seemed to create uh, a means by which she could slide out of her body. This seems to be the very first time Carla left her body, uh, a feature that would become primary for the raw contact. And as she slid out of her body at the age of two, she went to what she would describe later on as a magic kingdom. This apparently happened a number of times between the ages of two and five. And in this magic kingdom, uh, she called it magic because uh, the animals would talk to her, the roses that were growing there would twine around her arm. and. Uh, become friends with her, and in the middle of this magic kingdom, she met what she felt was Jesus Christ. And the image of this Jesus was not what you usually see in the church, uh, uh, nicely clean and hair combed and so forth. Uh, he seemed like he'd been on the road a while, that he was uh, dusty, his hair was somewhat matted, his uh, sandals and shoes were dusty. And he never said a word to her, never in all the times that she saw him under these circumstances. But he would look in her eyes as he was holding her hands, 
And she said his eyes were golden and that when she looked into them, she knew automatically at the age of two what unconditional love was. And so at that point, she became a disciple of Jesus Christ. And uh, she later would tell her mother and father about Jesus. They didn't tell her about Jesus. Unfortunately, at about the age of five, when she told them what was happening, they said, well, that's not really happening. That's just your imagination. So the experience itself of going to the magic garden and seeing Jesus uh, stopped. But her devotion to Jesus as her Lord and Savior uh, continued on for the rest of her life. And whenever she would channel uh, any entities uh, whether in the conscious state, uh, she would always challenge them in the name of Jesus Christ. They would have to say that they came in the name of Jesus Christ before she would allow any of them to channel through her. If they could not say that they did come in the name of Jesus Christ, then she did not channel them and they would have to go away. So throughout her life, um, this was a, Jesus was a primary force, a foundation stone in her life experience. Uh, she was an Episcopalian, which was uh, fortunate for her because the uh, Episcopal Church is known for accepting, uh, you might say, mavericks or the, um, the unusual the uh, the stranger characters in the religious uh, seeking uh, mystics have had a home in the uh, Episcopal Church for as long as it has been a church as for, since it's a, a separation from the uh, the Catholic Church and the Church of Rome and she always would submit examples of her channeling to each of the uh, eight different priests or bishops that uh, she served under while she was in the Episcopal Church. She wanted to be sure that she wasn't doing anything in the way of channeling that they could have a problem with, and they never did. Uh, everyone could see the value of the material which she was channeling. And uh, one, Bishop Marmion in particular, when she was uh, in her, um, I guess, somewhere around 29 or so, uh, told her that uh, he was hopeful that she could become the same as Jesus to those people to whom she was channeling because they were basically unchurched and uh, would never see the inside of a church. So she actually was Jesus for them. And he, uh, he said, do not forget that. You are carrying the word of Jesus to these people. And uh, so she felt good about being able to provide each of the priests and bishops uh, examples of her, of her work because it was important to her as a, a Christian mystic to have this uh, approved by those that she valued uh, their, their opinion that were uh, working within the church. So she, um, she did this for her entire life. And <laughs> one of the things that uh, was sort of a, a sad feature, I guess, of my, of my experience at that time was that uh, she felt that I was uh, her only failure <laughs> in uh, converting uh, a person to a Christianity just by her example. She wasn't a, an evangelist in any way, but she was hopeful that at some point during our relationship that I would see uh, the value of uh, Jesus Christ. But uh, like most uh, people in the New Age movement, or many at least, uh, church never really took for me. It was sort of like uh, water off a duck's back. I went to church up through college and uh, then went my way uh, into the New Age movement, into being a hippie and uh, finding my own path of spirituality. And that continued until um, after Carla passed away. I think the beginnings of the opening of my heart uh, and the experience of Jesus were in the last few years of Carla's life, where she was uh, in a hospital bed here in what was, a, before she came into the room, it was my room, it was my bedroom, and she needed to be here because uh, she had the hospital bed and she was confined to it and couldn't travel the stairs up and down. So what that symbolized to me uh, was um, allowing Carla not only to come into my room, but to come into my heart because I'm a very literal type of person. And uh, that was the way that I began opening my heart uh, to help her with the things that she couldn't do for herself. And she was able during those years to balance the uh, ability to give without expectation of return that she developed as a child, 
with the ability to receive the love offerings of others, as I helped her with things that she needed help with, then uh, she was able to achieve that balance and to attain that sense of self-worth that Ra mentioned a number of times throughout the Ra contact that uh, was a feature of the uh, blockage of her indigo ray. So uh, that experience that we both shared toward the end of her life was something that benefited her and me uh, greatly. So after she passed away in uh, April of 2015, I had a summer in which um, a number of things happened that were significant to me. And uh, I guess the very first thing was uh, around July 27th. I was working in the yard and aware of uh, these uh, meaningless phrases and words and tunes and humming going through my mind, uh, just a, a crowd of meaninglessness. And I thought to myself at the time, good grief, there's got to be something better I can do with my mind while I'm outside working than let all this crap go through my mind. So all of a sudden, the uh, Alleluia Chorus came to my mind, and I, I was never really sure how it got there, but it was the, the simple phrase, Alleluia, Alleluia. And so I started singing it outside, thinking this is a whole lot better than what was happening before. And about 30 minutes later, there were tears running down my cheeks, and I had no idea why. And so I just kept on doing it. I figured, well, that's got to be a good sign. <laughs> you know, I'm getting somewhere with my heart. So I kept doing that. And then um, I brought it into my morning meditations, and I made it part of the meditation so that when I offered my uh, beginning prayers, then I would follow the prayer with uh, singing that little uh, ditty, those two lines, I would sing it 10 times. And one morning, it was uh, August uh, 31st, um, it was um, homecoming. Uh, Gary was off to the airport picking up Lana and Nadia from the airport for homecoming, and I was having my morning offering. And I was singing those lines. I was feeling particularly sensitive and focused on um, the Creator. And so I thought, I'm going to ask the Creator to come into my heart. And so I did, and nothing happened. I thought later, well, probably nothing happened because the Creator's already there. So uh, I decided, well, let me try something else. I really would like to have Jesus come into my heart. And all of a sudden, as I said that, my heart started pounding like I had been running a 100-yard dash, and the tears were flowing down my cheeks. Uh, it took me about 10 minutes to recover. And I knew at that moment that Jesus had come into my heart. And I had no idea how it really happened. But I can tell you that that feeling was unmistakable. And I can feel it again now. And afterward, and ever since, uh, loving people and loving things in the world has not been a problem. It's not been a decision. It's been like breathing. It just happens that I love everyone and I love everything because it's all the Creator and it's uh, Jesus shining forth from my heart. So that's the way it happened for me. And I always have thought since then, I wish that it happened while Carla was alive. But I'm sure she is aware of it and is pleased for me and that all things are working out as they were meant to work out. Thank you, as always, for sharing that story. I don't think I ever get tired of hearing it, and it seems to get better every time, too. Um, Gary, do you have any relationship that can compare to what Jim just shared uh, with Jesus? Uh, no, my, in so far as the word relationship applies, has been strictly an intellectual understanding of an historical figure and um, his teachings. Yeah, uh, similarly here, I'd say even um, further than that, I 
grew up, at least in a big part of my life, with some mean Christians, which um, really turned me off to Christianity in general. And uh, I think really Carla was the first um, Christian that I personally interacted with that I felt uh, comfortable with their spiritual path. And that sort of helped me open up to the idea that Christianity can be a valid spiritual path. And I would definitely say that in the sense that you were talking about, Jim, her being able to share the word of, uh, shared the word of the creator, that she was Jesus for people. I'd say it's uh, some probably true for me in the sense that she was an instrument for the creator, just like Jesus was. And, um, I, never would have gone into a church and got the same experience that she did, but I'm sure that I had similar experiences through the work that she was able to do, and you were able to do, you and Don and Carla together. Um, so, Gary, uh, moving on to um, Jesus and how he relates to the law of one, um, Ra talks about Jesus uh, a little bit, have sort of, has sort of a narrative of his life. Um, could you summarize or tell us what Ra says about Jesus? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So Ra indicated that Jesus, at the time he incarnated on earth, was of the highest, they say, level of that sub-octave. So um, what they're saying is that these a very advanced fourth density being on the cusp even of going into fifth density. And he, they don't say um, how he conceived, rather, they don't say or describe the process whereby Jesus conceived of a mission to come help, but um, he did seek permission to respond to the call of service on earth um, through his own gift to serve as a messenger of love. And the council granted this particular mind-body-spirit complex that permission. And uh, Jesus incarnated here um, in the same form that all wanderers do. He went through the forgetting and uh, was born into a human body and mind. And uh, through his development became aware of what Ra called a terrible potential within himself at an early age by becoming angry at a playmate. And in his anger, he apparently terminated the life of his playmate and realized that um, he had the potential to wield intelligent energy through the gateway. And this galvanized him into a lifetime of seeking and study that led him, uh, Ra describes, by the age of 13, I think it was, to have learned enough from his own religion that he could have been a rabbi. Ra said he studied day and night. So at that point, um, he left his home, which would be in present-day Israel, I believe, or Palestine. Uh, that region, and wandered to various places and um, for the next five or so years, learning everything he could until um, he returned, I guess, in his mid-20s, Ra describes. That would be longer than five years. But he was able to uh, integrate and synthesize uh, everything he had learned and began ministering to his own, um, to, I guess, anybody that would listen in his region. And uh, I'll conclude by describing what Ra seems to indicate is the was the essence of his service. Ra says, um, this entity was desirous of entering this planetary sphere, meaning come to earth, in order to share the love vibration in as pure a manner as possible. And elsewhere, Ra says, this entity became aware that it was not an entity of itself, but operated as a messenger of the one creator whom this entity saw as love. This entity, Jesus, was aware that this cycle, third density, was in its last portion and spoke to the effect that those of its consciousness would return at the harvest. So that is a rich 
deep and even mysterious subject for contemplation, especially as it raises the question of the intersection between the human and divine and whether there is separation there and how one operates as a messenger or a transparent vehicle. But in summary, and this is what I'll wrap up with in replying to your question, I read it as uh, Jesus, um, more or less, that particular mind-body-spirit complex as he existed in this illusion of space-time on planet Earth, became a transparent vessel. Uh, He had rendered his personality transparent like a clear window pane to the logos, to the consciousness of love, and had surrendered his will rather fully to that consciousness so that emanating energetically from him was this, as was Carla's experience at two years old, unconditional love. And moving through his words was this unconditional love and manifesting in his actions was the consciousness of love. And he seemed to consciously recognize that his role was a messenger in this regard. Um, He was a beacon who, um, who represented this message to others, reminding others that he, in my read, was not uniquely, um, this was not a unique property of himself, but rather reminding others of who and what they really are. So I'll wrap that up there. This is an excellent summary. And Ra also invokes Jesus and Jesus's life and understandings a few times outside of directly relating to Jesus, such as when they're discussing karma and discussing forgiveness, they talk about Jesus on the cross um, saying, forgive them, Father, they know not what they do to his um, crucifiers. And then also in talking about healing and um, the aspect of not taking credit for the healing, like the individual doesn't take credit for the healing, but instead... um, says that the healing comes through them and invokes what Jesus told to some of his um, followers or people that he has healed and Jesus telling them to tell no one. I think that's what they said. Um, So moving on from there, uh, Jim, did you have anything to add to what Ra has to say about Jesus? Uh, No, I think that was a good summary that uh, you both gave. All righty. So getting more to the heart of what uh, Herta wanted to ask, um, she wrote in curious about sort of the difference or comparing the Christian Jesus to the law of one Jesus and uh, how Ra kind of describes Jesus as sort of a simple wanderer who maybe is the most famous wanderer who has walked the earth. And then Christian Jesus being um, a very much more significant figure, like the Son of God, and talking about how I am the way, and how in Christianity Jesus is much more of a central figure, a central gateway to God, than just being another wanderer who um, was in the right place at the right time with the right orientation, I guess. So, um, Jim, uh, when you talk about a uh, relationship with Jesus and Jesus coming into your heart, do you have an understanding of whether this is the Jesus that Ra talks about or if there's maybe something greater to the Jesus that you experience? Well, I think there is something much greater than the experience I have of Jesus. I think that... Jesus' experiences themselves were of a variety um, because of Jesus' ability to make contact with um, what Ra would say was the the indigo ray, then the violet ray, and the fully experienced presence of the one infinite creator. I think that when Jesus says things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life— no man comes into the Father unless they come by me. Jesus is in a role of the Christ, a station or an office that is very close to unity with the Creator and is not speaking from the personality of Jesus, the one born of Mary, 
uh, and raised as uh, you know a child of a rabbi in the church. Um, so I, I think that depending upon when, when Jesus is being quoted, or the one that most people saw as Jesus, when that entity was being quoted, you could get a variety of representations of that entity's experience and what it was feeling at that time. Uh, and I think that that might be a confusing factor for many people that are Christians and that read the Bible and take it literally and think that uh, they're always hearing from the same level of consciousness that is attributed to the one known as Jesus. Because as uh, many mystics have uh, revealed throughout the years, that there are various levels of illumination that an entity can go through who is on the spiritual path and attempting to, as all, we, all of us are, to return into unity with the one creator. There's a, those illuminatory experiences, those enlightenment experiences uh, that various cultures have got different names for, whether it's Nirvana or Samadhi or Kensho. That, and these experiences last for different periods of time, and people have different intensities of these experiences. And then there's the experience of communion, where for a while you are uh, one with the Creator, and you are walking with the Creator. And this is a, a, a greater experience than a simple enlightenment. And then even more than that is the, the union, not just coming into union, but being in union. So I think that Jesus reflected each of these uh, fully. And uh, that's why we have different uh, statements attributed to Jesus that seem that they are, um, he is the creator. And for those moments, I believe Jesus was the creator. If you said something to the effect, uh, if you see me, you see the one who sent me. And that would say that Jesus was at that time experiencing the creator in a fashion that was uh, equivalent to unity. So that's uh, my basic feeling about the biblical Jesus uh, and that there is so much that can be experienced of Jesus. What my experience is is simply the love. I have not had the experience of unity that I believe the Christ consciousness can offer and which Jesus attained as a kind of office. What I, my experience has been has been in the heart in the heart of uh, unconditional love, loving everybody just because they exist. You know, that, that's my experience. I had a thought while you were uh, saying that about this difference between Jesus being uh, just a wanderer who did these things versus the ex sorts of experiences that you've had or that Carla had with Jesus. Um, it seems like Jesus had such an impact on this world and even in a lot of the um, more distorted Christian circles, they still talk about the love of Jesus, and Jesus is still sort of this paragon of love, and it seems impossible that that doesn't create at least some sort of thought form, but that there's still maybe this uh, massive calling that many people have for the entity that was Jesus the Christ, and that this entity maybe is still able to sort of um, inhabit that persona, or if it's not that entity directly, there is sort of this Christ thought form that is Jesus that was sort of formed by this entity that still exists and is still available uh, to people like you. Do you think that's maybe a possibility? I do. I, I think that uh, what people desire um, is something that they can help to create by their desires because I think the, uh, the power of love uh, that Jesus felt was the creator, Jesus saw the creator as love, uh, is something that can respond to people's needs. I think that uh, in many ways uh, people have also not just created a, a Jesus that is love and that is a, a part of a new covenant the New Testament, the Old Covenant, with the old Yahweh that was uh, the name taken from the Confederation Yahweh and used by the Orion entities to lead uh, an elite 
to help conquer the planet. Uh, <laughs> that type of a, a consciousness is what I believe Jesus came to bring a new covenant to balance so that a way could be found, uh, a purely positive way to the Creator that would not lead one into uh, the separation that uh, the elite uh, Yahweh wished to cause and create. So I think that uh, Jesus's um, mission was to provide entities who were wanting really to know about love and experience love and to share love and to become love is something that is very real. But I also think that entities can uh, become confused if they try to blend the new covenant Jesus with uh, some of the uh, wrath-filled God of the Old Testament and can even use Jesus as a reason or a way to um, justify a behavior which uh, would be far outside the realm of what Jesus would ever um, express or um, help, help anyone to experience. So I think that people's desires really can and do create for them uh, an image that they wish. And in, in many instances, it's a distorted image that is um, a result of our culture and the way we perform um, and expect people to perform in order to get the goods of the world, the, the money, the position, the, the power, the family, the car, the education, the image, and so forth. Um, a lot of people have a, a mixture of um, beliefs, and they get Jesus in there a little bit somewhere, but they still go forward with these uh, separative forces that have been in motion for a long time on planet Earth and are especially active in our culture, our third density illusion today. Yeah, that's another point that I had in response to Herita was the the Bible, what we know of Jesus and Jesus's words has been interpreted and reinterpreted and translated and utilized by a religious organization that has had a, a very mixed orientation and at least for part of it has been a, a very powerful um, controlling force and would manipulate things that have been said and teach things uh, that are distorted in order to use Jesus's words as a form of control versus actually sharing the love that Jesus wanted to communicate. Um, Jesus, or just I almost called you Jesus, Gary. Uh, <laughs> Gary. I go by that sometimes. <laughs> um, did you have uh, any thoughts on what we were just talking about? Yeah, I'd like to reply a bit to Herta's, Herta's question about the differences between the Christian, general Christian conception of Jesus and the law of one. And um, I think there's a, a few areas where there is commonality between the two perspectives on this same entity, um, in that both the law of one and Christianity recognize Jesus as a source of revelation. Um, both associate love with the entity and um, both acknowledge the martyrdom aspect of Jesus. But where they differ is very significant and consequential too, because what one believes really matters. Uh, the, the beliefs around Jesus as conveyed through uh, organized religion have had enormous um, impact on the historical movement of this planet, like specifically the Western world, and, and then look at the dominance that the Western world has wrought upon uh, the entire globe. Um, that traces back to what you were speaking to, Austin, that an imperial state got a hold of this set of teachings, um, namely the Roman Empire, and decided uh, what would be true and what would not be true, what would be included as canon and what would be uh, uh, discarded as uh, hearsay, and it was tailored for um, 
and a system of control. But anyway, uh, to those three commonalities where they differ, I said source of revelation was one. Um, Christianity, the general Orthodox Christianity, uh, of course, there's a wide range of interpretations within Christianity, including all the way up to the mystical variants that Jim was speaking to. But uh, general mainstream Christianity seems to see uh, Jesus as a unique singular source of revelation, the only source, the word of God that elevates Christianity to a status of being infallible and completely exclusive. Like this religion is the one that has the patent on the truth, and it was because Jesus was the only son of God. God, as this separate being from us, sent his son forth to earth to minister to um, humans and um, speak to them about the pathway to heaven. And truth then was um, fixed permanently in these in this scripture. Whereas the law of one does recognize that he is a source of revelation and that he reveals to those dreaming within the illusion the truer nature of who they are and what this experience is and that um, they are the consciousness of love. Um, and both sources, again, associate Jesus with that love. Um, <laughs> but it's quite amazing what um, mainstream Christianity has done with that love. I remember, uh, I so I worked at a nearby restaurant early when I moved to Louisville, and it was right next to one of those giant mega churches, like, you know, 25,000 person congregation. So I had a lot of opportunity to interact with uh, attendees of that church, and we'd have great, really um, uh, interesting discussions about religion, and the Iraq war was happening at the time, and um, we were talking about how how a religious adherent sees that war, and this one person was affirming with with conviction that uh, Jesus would support this. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of mind-blowing. And then you see even uh, manifestations of distortions of his teachings, like Jesus hates fags. And so the love message um, is really gets lost uh, to quite an extent, but it's still, like Jim was describing, completely available for the person who recognizes um, what love is and the possibilities of forgiveness therein. Um, and I also said martyrdom. And general Christianity um, seems to see that martyrdom in light of Jesus giving up his own life dying on the cross, um, walking himself, uh, riding on an ass into Jerusalem in order to absolve all sin on this planet for those who ex personally accept Jesus Christ as their personal savior, as the only son of God. And um, in that ritual act, they are then clean of their sins, from per my understanding. Whereas I see the law of one conception of that act of martyrdom as Jesus demonstrating in the most potent and powerful way anyone can demonstrate the purity of love and the unlimited nature of love by giving up his own life. That was his message. Um, this is what love is capable of. This is what love can do. Uh, I will love even those who are destroying my life, who have, are literally torturing me by nailing me to a cross. And I will, love will unconditionally nevertheless uh, shine through me um, to these people, and here is the message of love for all to see. So that's a quick run-through of some commonalities and differences between the two. And, and let me conclude by uh, jumping back to the source of revelation commonality and assert again that the law of one while seeing Jesus as a source of revelation to those within the illusion never asserts in any way that this was um, only he was uniquely capable of this, but rather the consciousness of love that he did reveal was um, rather is the nature of all entities. I, that was an excellent um, rundown, and I disagree on one point, and that is that it was a quick rundown of... Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> the differences. Um, we're we're um, coming to an end. I had a few thoughts of what you were just you two were just talking about. Um, one of them dealing with like the distortions in the Bible, um, and I saw a funny quote. Uh, here it is. Um, that goes, if anyone ever asks you what would Jesus do, remind him that flipping over tables and chasing people with a whip is within the realm of possibilities. <laughs> and I always wondered about that uh, that passage um, where Jesus sees the money changers. I think it was in a temple and um, uh, gets really mad and uh, chases them away, flips over their tables and chases them away and gets angry. So I, I wonder if that was actually something Jesus did or um, was a distortion added to it. Um, but I was going to take the d discussion more to a general talk about the Bible and religion, but we might not have time, except maybe I will ask my final question to Jim, and that is that you... Um, you read the Bible on a daily basis as part of your morning offering and your spiritual practice. Um, what exactly is it that you uh, get out of that reading of the Bible? And um, how do you see it fit into your spiritual practice? Well, I've continued doing what Carl and I shared for um, the 28 years that we were married. We always uh, included the Bible uh, Old and New Testaments, along with uh, the Law of One, and usually one other book of uh, some spiritual, inspirational nature. Um, over the last few years, I've eliminated the Old Testament. I've gotten uh, the the bit that I could find that was positive in there. Uh, usually, uh, Psalms, uh, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, are fairly positive. But uh, I've tried to stay with the New Testament, but I found that even in the New Testament, I believe there are areas where words or concepts are put into Jesus' mouth that he would not, uh, I don't believe he actually said them. Um, and I study the New Testament because I, I want to study more about Jesus. But when I, I hear words like, uh, if the, uh, the truth of the, uh, the, the prophets and the Father are not ingrained within the entity, then there will be the uh, cast into the outer darkness, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And uh, that's not at all true. You know, we know from the Law of One that uh, we have as many incarnations as we need to do our work of opening our hearts and, and becoming harvestable to the fourth density. So I think that even in the New Testament, there are places where there has been... Um, a liberty taken by translators or back, I believe Gary mentioned something about the places and times during the Roman Empire when there was uh, a, um, a revisiting of the Bible to an attempt uh, to remove instances that referred to reincarnation because uh, Empress Theodora had determined that this was necessary if she was ever going to be deified, as was the custom of the times of the people around 323 A.D. Uh, and how could she ever be deified if uh, people were born again and again? So, you know, she was able to incorporate uh, or free some monks from prison, and they returned the favor by becoming part of that uh, second council at Constantinople and uh, revised uh, the Bible by taking out the reincarnation. I just personally have a hunch that they also were attempting to discredit Jesus in some ways and to uh, make the, uh, the seeking of uh, the love of the Jesus the Christ and of the, the Creator um, more difficult to obtain. Um, the reason I continue to read the Bible is because there are places in there that are very powerful for me in uh, giving over the will. Uh, of the seeker, giving over my will to the will of the Creator, wanting to do the will of the Father each day, in each uh, moment, in each choice, in every thought, every word, and every deed. There are places where that is illustrated in such a profound way that it brings me to tears. And I view tears as a good thing. Uh, while I'm reading the Bible, there are places in the New Testament especially, in the words and the acts of Jesus, that uh, are moving very moving, and it is those experiences 
that are uh, pearls, and they're not they're not many, <laughs> but I I continue to look for. By this time, I know where they are, and um, I could just read those, and I'm pretty much doing that by sticking into the, most of the New Testament. So I, I look for the chance to be moved. I look for the chance to be transformed, and um, I imagine I'll continue reading the Bible um, for the foreseeable future. Uh, because there are those instances in there where I can feel transformed. And because I know that uh, Carla always said uh, she didn't do dogma, she preferred the red print, which is Jesus' words in the King James Version. So, you know, as a, a, a remembrance of Carla, I'll probably continue reading for a while. There could come a time when uh, I'll decide to, um, to read other works, uh, uh, maybe set the Bible aside, but for now, I, I still read it because I, I find places that nourish me. Yeah, I think, I don't know how many, but I think there are some people who find the law of one and who have gone through a Christian spiritual path that maybe feel there are incompatibilities or feel some insecurity around finding this new spiritual text that has some incompatibilities with the dogma of Christianity and um, that they are mutually exclusive. But there are also plenty of people who have successfully integrated both into their spiritual practices, including the most prominent example being Carla. And um, I have one story, not really story, an anecdote about Carla's Christianity that I really like, and that is in the, um, we have some of her Christian speeches on our website, uh, where she gave speeches on different uh, topics about Christianity to a Christian crowd. And in one of those speeches, she's talking about dogma and whether or not believing in every point of Christianity um, is what makes you a Christian. And she reveals to this crowd of uh, Christians in a church that she doesn't believe in the virgin birth. And um, it wasn't in the transcript, but I was pretty sure there were lots of gasps in the room mm -hmm. as she said that. Um, but it was really interesting that she was she was brave enough to stand in front of a big crowd of Christians to say, I am a Christian, and I don't believe in this point uh, that is a huge sticking point for a lot of Christians. I think there are uh, many Christian uh, denominations that would say that is a, a key belief, and if you don't believe in it, then you are not a Christian. But um, I think it's okay to... Uh, try to suss out the the purity of the Bible and the purity of the Christian teachings like you do, Jim. And it's okay to say that you are a, a Christian, even if not all Christians would consider you such, because I think that is probably consistent with all religions, that there are different denominations and sects that think that anybody else can't consider themselves the true um, adherence to that religion. Um I had some more, but I can't think of it right now, so I'll just uh, see if Gary has anything final to offer before we close out the show. Yeah, one interesting point, and that's that Rod does seem to confirm that what we have of Jesus is, rather, the record that we have uh, via the Bible of Jesus' teachings is very incomplete. I say that because Ra says, almost gives a wink, I feel a wink when they say this, but they say, you may be aware of some of this entity's teachings, which speaks to me that um, all, a nice chunk of his teachings is did not survive and is not unknown to humanity. And that's all. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, any thoughts, uh, final thoughts, Jim? Well, I would just like to say that uh, love is love, and wherever it comes from, we need more of it. So if you all listening to this program uh, could find it in your hearts to share a little love with some stranger today or a family member, just spread the love. That's what's going to help us get into the fourth density and to bring each other home. Alrighty, You have been listening to LL Research's bi-weekly podcast, In the Now. 
uh, or really just podcast. Um, it's been a while since it's been biweekly. Uh, if you've enjoyed the show, please visit our websites, lrresearch.org and bringforth.org. Thank you so much for listening, for supporting this podcast with your questions, and a special thank you to Herta for sending us the question featured in this episode. If you'd like to hear us ramble on about a particular topic, please read the instructions on our page at www.llresearch.org podcast. New episodes are published to the archive website on some various random Wednesdays throughout the year. Uh, And once we get back into a more normal recording schedule, probably after the beginning of the year, should be every other Wednesday afternoon. Have a wonderful few weeks, and we will talk to you next time.